Welcome to the Working Mama podcast, a show that provides real-world tips, tricks, and advice to all working mamas on how they can have a career, family, and hopefully one day break the glass ceiling. Hey there, Mama. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Mama podcast. One of the topics that we haven't yet really spoken about too much on the podcast is about job seeking and recruitment hints and tips for working mums. So today I'm very excited to speak with Dana Stewart. Dana Stewart is the executive director of the Nudge Group and a busy mum of two beautiful kids, Jake and Aisha, supported by her awesome hubby, Jared. The Nudge Group supports startups and scale-ups globally through the various stages of business growth, and they help develop and share their brand stories through their media and content divisions. Dana's got a wealth of knowledge. She's been in recruitment a very long time and certainly has some great hints and tips to support you searching and also positioning yourself as a working, helping you position effectively for that next role. So let's get into it. Welcome, Dana. Welcome to the Working Mama podcast. How's your day going so far? It's going really well. Thank you. And thanks for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. We'll get straight into it. How would you best describe yourself? Well, I suppose a working mum. <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> I've um, I've been in the recruitment industry for nearly 20 years now and um, have always worked in a full-time capacity, even whilst pregnant and after having my children as well. I've, uh, I have two children, a 15-year-old and a nine-year-old, a boy and a girl, and a lovely husband who allows me to work or helps me to work full-time and supports me throughout the busy career mum journey that we are, that we're all <laughs> yeah, very much so. And just on that, what's been your journey and your career journey so far? Yeah, so I guess recruitment's one of those things that um, you don't necessarily come out of high school, go to university and say, I want to be a recruiter. So like most people, I sort of fell into the industry and really loved it and have been quite successful throughout my career within recruitment. And I, I guess the my career has evolved to where it is today, which is now working predominantly with startups and scale-ups and helping them to grow globally. So recruitment is, I suppose, the engine that drives the revenue, but there is a lot more that, that we offer as a, in, in terms of our services outside of pure recruitment. I think in terms of the evolution of my career, obviously having my son at, at a fairly early age or an early point in my career, it did change things a little bit. And, and it kind of, for better or worse, made me realize that, you know what, now that I have this little human, I really want to be extremely successful so that I can support this little boy for the rest of his life. And, and up until that point, I suppose it was just a job, but now it's definitely a career and a passion and something that I'm really extremely dedicated to. Yeah. <laughs> So you've always stayed in recruitment. That's interesting because not a lot of people, I know recruitment sometimes can actually have quite a short lifespan at times and people use that as a stepping stone saying to HR and other roles, but you've clearly just stayed in that one industry. One industry. So I sort of um, started out more on the business support side of things. And then as sort of the times changed, moved into digital and have stayed in sort of more that digital recruitment space for the last at least 15 years. So that's kind of been an area that I guess I've stayed because it changes 
so quickly. I mean, as you know, with technology, a lot of the work that I recruit is within a, a marketing vertical and roles that I had in marketing 15 years ago compared to today, the roles that we're doing now didn't even exist. So it, it is sort of one of those industries that I'm always learning and I'm constantly sort of growing myself and my skill set. So it's it hasn't been like a stagnated, a stagnated sort of career for me. And it, it because we are now sort of looking after a different client vertical and, and have been doing so now for three years, we're working with companies that are either just about to launch a new solution in, in the market or they're an international business about to launch in Australia. And it's really exciting to, to learn a lot, of, a lot of these sort of new businesses that are taking off and also kicking yourself that you didn't have the idea before they did because <laughs> <laughs> some of them are absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, it's it's been a great, a great ride so far. Oh, sensational. And you mentioned before about the change and your outlook about when you had your son, you said you went from just a job to now a career. Yeah. How do you think that also then really of changing your perception about, you know, work and career? And was there that tipping point that made you go, oh, I actually want to be successful and I want to have this? And is that the biggest thing that surprised you in becoming a mom and, and definitely a working mom? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I mean, I'd, I always had had ambition, but it was never to, you know, be the leader of an organization and have a team underneath me. I mean, that was in the early stages. And I think by having my first child, it, it sort of, it did turn, have a bit of a flip. I, I took six months off on maternity leave with him. And I think as I mean, I, I never wanted to miss any of his major milestones and I did go back to work full time and he was in daycare. Fortunately, my mother was working at the daycare that he was going to. So it was almost like Nana was looking after yeah, him. That's the mummy guilt of sending your child off for five days. But I think once I was able to prove to the employer at the time that I can still be an extremely successful employee as well as be a mother. I was then able to sort of shift the balance in terms of in office and working from home. And I think that back in 20, 2007, it was when, when that was sort of happening or 2008, it wasn't really a thing. You I mean, it was sort of, you're in the office and you're working or you're at home and you're doing nothing. And I was very fortunate that the founder of the company that I was working for sort of said, well, if you think you can manage a couple of days at home, go for it, you know, work from home. So the juggle became a little easier. He was still at daycare, but instead of having the really long hours that he was in, I was able to do a lot more. And I think that turned that kind of mummy guilt that we that we often have into, well, I, hey, I can manage both. And it turns you into being an extremely organised individual and something that, especially having the second child, there's quite a gap between my two, but having the second one, I think that working mums are the most efficient, organised, highly prioritised, routine-driven people under the sun. Like we were just speaking before, Karina, honestly, I feel as though you can if you're productive and you know what you're doing and you're good at what you do, you can you can fit a five day week into into a three day working week. You know, it just if you can organize things, then you can have the best of both worlds. And I feel like I'm finally at that point where I'm able to manage both. But they are getting older now, so they can be a little bit more self sufficient. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more independent. But it is so yeah. true. And it's so many what so many people say is that working moms are probably the most productive and efficient of any organization because, as you say, they've they've got they know what they need to do. They've got 
limited time. They know they'll just get in, get what done, as opposed to, I remember before I had my children, I'd be like, oh, you go for coffee, you do this, the amount of wasted time. And I'm just like, now it's like, right, bang, bang, bang. This is what needs to happen. And it's amazing how that mindset shift does happen of when you're a mum, you're like, right, if I'm going to be at work, I'm going to be productive. I'm going to get this out. And like my typing speed just went through the roof. It's like, (laughs) get it all out, get it all out. (laughs) But it definitely makes you more efficient. And I think, I mean, part of what I do is, you know, even the night before, just get a bit of a to-do list. What do I need to achieve that next day? Where are the kids going to be after school? I mean, now that they are older, there's, you know, sporting commitments and cheerleading and dancing and this and that. I mean, there's so many different things. And as I mentioned earlier, I have a, a fantastic husband who, does support me. So I'm not doing this all on my own, thank goodness, because as you know, there's late at night meetings and and he's amazing in in sort of taking them where they need to be or making dinner or cleaning up. So I'm very, very fortunate to have that. I think if I was doing it all on my own, it might be a very different conversation. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I think that's certainly what makes it, makes it work, that it's not just the mum, but it's definitely then that team approach to both partners. I know I couldn't do what I do without my husband. And yeah, particularly when I travel, it's like, well, who else is going to look after the kids? So yeah, it makes a big difference. Now we're hearing a lot more about women changing roles and even I saw something this morning about the UK with flexible work policies coming out and and but we're also hearing about the high turnover and even this week I was actually out for dinner with women and they were um, well small business owners and they're all saying about how even the organizations that their husbands are working with they've got to be in the office set days and that's not really yeah. attracting you know even high talents and high caliber of people because of the flexible work approaches and it's not necessarily always at the moment money driven for an organization mm-hmm. but we're seeing some of those those flexible work options what are you seeing in the workplace that are really attracting working mums and also then how are you seeing employers respond to some of those demands? And I guess it's not just mums, but also dads. Dads, yeah, exactly. So I think that COVID was actually a massive transformation in itself in the way that businesses operate. And um, yes, it was a horrible position for a lot of us to be in, particularly with homeschooling and full-time work and everything else, but it did change the way that people work and it, it really did push a lot of businesses who didn't necessarily have the remote setup into, well, now we, we have nothing else, but we have to push forward into a remote or a digital collaboration style. So moving sort of beyond the, the pandemic, people are just not wanting to return to the office five days a week. It's as simple as that. So the client base that we serve, and I can only really speak for the, for this end of, for this vertical because this is where we've been in for the last three years, because they are more of a scaling or a high growth business unit, they're very, very used to having people working remotely. A lot of the companies that we work for already have, say, remote technical teams maybe in another country. They may have a marketing team in Melbourne. They may have a sales team in Sydney. So it is all kind of very remote in a sense. So I think the the biggest driver for people is that flexibility for mums, for dads, for people in general, whether they have children or families or not. It's a very, very big motivator. And in fact, we say to some of our clients, if there is just an in-office policy, you're not going to get the talent that you're looking for and we're not going to be able to give you that high caliber of talent because the high caliber want that flexibility. So it's a, it's an education piece that we need to give to a lot of our clients. I think that a lot of companies are trying to do, as you mentioned earlier, just a couple of days so that we can collaborate. People are open to that if the days are set, if they're kind of, oh, maybe it's a Monday, maybe it's a Wednesday, 
it doesn't work. But I think if, if a business says we come in on a Tuesday and a Thursday, for example, the hours are pretty flexible, get here between 8 and 9.30, you can leave between 4.30 and 5.30, whatever the case may be. It's it's actually a positive because people are sort of giving that as a bit of an outlet. I know that um, for a two-year period when it was pretty much just working from home, you can get a, you can lose a bit of innovation, I feel, because you're not hearing or learning from others around you and, and learning through osmosis and having those conversations with people and having a different way of thinking. So I do feel it is quite important to still have some form of face-to-face with your team, but the employers that are missing out on the talent are those that are just really set in their ways that, no, you need to be in the office. It, it just doesn't work anymore. It's not the yeah. way it works. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? It's yeah, I, I've personally experienced that as well. It's those little water cooler pot conversations that you just don't necessarily get, you know, on a Teams chat or something like that. But it's really interesting about how those those mindset shifts are happening. And even now, if you if employers aren't offering flexible work, like that is the the main carrot for people. It's amazing Absolutely. how in just a few short years across so many different industries, it's it's actually the norm. It's, a, it's, it's been a game changer. I actually had a candidate move through a process actually this week and he was quite, has two children himself and he was quite happy to lower his salary expectations by 15,000 because the employer was saying we're one, one day a week and the office was fairly close to, to where he was living. So he was willing to forget the dollars purely for that flexibility because the role he had before that was five days in the office, 14-hour days, like massive drain on any work-life balance. So it's it's surprising. I think that that is one of the key. And the other thing that's awesome for, for working mums, I know I did this when I first looked to, to return to work, was job share situation. So if a role is a five-day-a-week option and we might have an amazing talent that can do three days and another that can do two, there's your permanent hire. But mm-hmm. we're getting that kind of flexible approach to what your height caliber talent is actually looking for so again that's another interesting way if you're getting the two two really good people that can collaborate and hand over with each other quite well it's another good way to sort of solve that resourcing gap with um with working mums that that are looking for those sort of options yeah and it's so good to see the rise of of job sharing opportunities for mums and and certainly you you hear more and more of it which is great to see because you heard you're only even a couple of years ago, there was such a small percentage of people that were doing it. It was a bit of the unknown where yeah. now organisations are getting really a two-for-one special. And it's great to see that people are thinking outside of the square based on what people's experiences are rather than, okay, you need to fit into this square box and you know, conform really. That's it. And I think also sort of women having children these days have sort of had a lot of sort of a career focus and have left sort of having children a little bit later in life. So it's all of that knowledge and all of that experience to then say, no, we only want you back in a full-time capacity. It's just insane because that level of experience can be training, you know, so many junior people underneath them. And it's information that a lot of the time these women just have themselves and and just need to sort of get it out there and explain yeah. explain it. It's it's very hard to articulate and just sort of say this is what I'm doing. Just yeah. copy, copy what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. Now, for working mums, often if they're returning back into work, they may even look at a different job, and they you know during a mat leave they may go look maybe it's up, I need a change and, and things like that. How can they prepare and position themselves in such a competitive market at the moment? Because also I know sometimes 
they don't necessarily want to work the five days a week job, but they may like four days, they could probably do it and, and things like that. And how can we, how can they position themselves in those roles? Because even I was chatting with people and they're like, oh, every role seems to be five days a week. Yeah. Is it that you should still apply for those five days a week and then try and negotiate? Because obviously, yeah. as you're saying, it's it's those, it's that flexibility, but also aligning with what you want personally and mm-hmm. also, I guess, professionally, that they still want those senior roles. But mm-hmm. why do we have to work the five days a week like they're advertising? Exactly. And that's one of the things that I I have a lot of conversations with our employers about. And I think the benefit of looking at somebody in that situation who may have quite a high salary in our industry, being the startup scale-up space, they don't necessarily always have that max budget to be able to reach sort of, you know, that 180, 190K level. So the way that I position it is that you're getting an experienced hire that can do your five days worth of work, but in four days, and if we can prorata that salary, it's back to the to the budget that you're looking for. So I think it is difficult for a candidate to sell that to an employer themselves. I think if you've got a recruiter or somebody who understands those circumstances, it's an easier sell coming from a third party because you're right. I mean, I think if you apply, have that conversation without having the backstory, I mean, I think the benefit of working with somebody like like myself is you can kind of really get to know the person, you know, what their drivers are, the experience that they have, how they've measured success in previous roles, and then I can sell that back to the employer. So already they're like, oh, this person sounds amazing. Yeah, I want to I get them in. Then that's when we can do the negotiations and say, look, these are this is sort of where the expectations were. If we can sort of move it to a four-day working week and still get the same level of return, you're, you're sort of in budget and that's it's better better off for the employ, employer employee as well. So that's kind of how I've, I've positioned it and have managed to have a lot of success doing it that way as well. That's great. And is it something that you, when you're applying for a role, do you say, I don't necessarily want to work five days a week? Or is it during the interview process, you bring it up and say, look, I know this is a five day a week role. Are you open and flexible? Maybe to four days? How do, how do you approach it? Yeah, I would do it more with an application, I think. If you're talking to a recruiter, if you're talking to the employer directly, then it would need to be a conversation if you get through to that first round interview. If it's with a recruiter, I think that you can be pretty transparent in terms of what you're looking for and they can advise whether or not the employer would be open to that. I, the, the only reason I say it needs to come up front is because particularly as a, as a candidate applying, if, if you're getting an objection straight away, I think it's a pretty good sign that that employer is not going to be a flexible employer and you can pretty much say, I don't want to work with you. Great job, but if you're not even open to some sort of negotiation, maybe it's not the right home for me if I am changing. So I'm always just really big of put your cards on the table. If you're great at what you do and if you can show your results and if you can demonstrate the success that you've had in previous organisations, any sort of fit from a cultural alignment would be or should be pretty open to ideas around sort of the arrangements that you want to come in and and work within reason. I mean, I I, I need to put within reason. If somebody comes in and says, I'm amazing, I can deliver results and I can do it in a day and I still want 200K, probably not going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And also when we're looking for those roles, as you just said, sometimes I've heard the statement that 80% males will have 80% of the the skills, but then they'll only, maybe if it's only, they'll, if the job ad may only, sorry, I think I've got that wrong. 
they've only got 80, uh, sorry, 20% of the skills, yeah. but then they'll apply for it anyway. Women think yeah. they need 80% of the skills and Women probably still doubt themselves. Yeah. 95% of yeah. the skills to apply, which is just crazy because I think if you look at any job ad that's on any platform, they list everything under the sun, which is completely unrealistic. Even if we're looking at junior roles, you know, a, a junior person, recent grad with five years experience, yeah. well, <laughs> like that's not going to happen. So I think that you need to be pretty comfortable that the, the vast majority of the role is something that you're capable of, of performing. I'm, I get job applications from people all the time that apply for the job it's quite a senior position and we ask sort of some targeted questions as part of the application, zero, 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 zero. And it's sort of like, okay, you've got zero out of <laughs> no 10, but you're still putting your CV forward. So I think just be quite realistic in what you want to do. And if it's more around, you know, I, I really love what this company is doing or I can see that they're making a difference or changing the world or whatever, and you have the passion for the actual brand itself, convey that through your cover letter or convey that through a conversation and then sort of address it yourself. You know, I can perform the majority of your role, but I'm happy to upskill myself in my own time just to get this certification or whatever it needs to be. So it needs to be backed with a passion for why you're applying and, and why you want want the opportunity. But yeah, you don't need hundred percent of the role. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how just, I think it's that mindset and it's that that personal confidence as well of like, oh, I don't think I can do maybe one or two of these things. And you're like, oh, okay, fine. I'm not going to apply. But oh. it's funny because then for male mentality, you're like, oh, I'll just give it a go anyway. It's, go. it's interesting oh, how yeah. the difference is. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. It's so true. I don't know why women don't back themselves a little bit more. I, I sort of feel as though it's all in that, in your own personal mindset, you know, knowing that you're awesome at what you do and you, you've had the career or you've you've had success in previous roles and be confident with that and promote that to the next employer you know don't don't be reserved and hide it because you're exactly right you know if if you have five people that all look pretty good on paper it's the person that sells themselves that's going to get the job realistically so you just need to back yourself and go for it <laughs> yeah and just on that how do you make that good first impression like you know even I guess when you're seeing all these resumes that come through, how yep. do you be that standout candidate? So is it, you know, having, I've heard, you know, two pages on a resume, like, you know, is it two pages these days, cover letters? Is it good LinkedIn profiles? Is it calling the recruiters and, you know, getting to know people? How can we put a good first impression, you know, yeah. to make sure we can get to that interview stage to try and really sell ourselves? For sure. So I think the biggest thing is making sure your LinkedIn profile matches your resume. That's the starting point. You know, the amount of times that I'll receive an application that you're reading through and it's like, great, go onto the LinkedIn profile. Oh, that job's missing. That job's missing. Did they do it? And it just causes confusion. So as long as you have consistency across the board, I would always say, if you are starting to apply for opportunities, really beef up your LinkedIn profile, make sure you have your picture there, make sure you have your sort of summary there of what 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 you've done in your career and how long you've been in your career and what, what your speciality is just so it's really really clear because I think the LinkedIn profile acts as a visual to the actual piece of paper of your resume so that's something that I always will compare I won't just take the resume cover letters can be good but being a recruiter it can also shoot you in the foot if you haven't done your research knowing the employer that you're actually applying to. So I would always say 
to a recruiter, it's not necessarily paramount to put a covering letter. You can do a generic one, but don't be too specific because, again, that could shoot yourself in the foot in terms of them being considered for the actual role. Some of our clients might be looking for, I don't know, certain types of industry backgrounds or a B2B focus as opposed to B2C or digital skill set or above-the-line skill set. But if, you, if you're not addressing everything, you can kind of read a cover letter and go, oh, they haven't mentioned this, maybe maybe they're not right. And so you sort of park them. So I think the biggest thing is if you're not going through a recruiter, do your research. That is a huge thing. Who? What is the company? Who are their competitors? What's their digital presence look like? Have a look on any of their Instas or LinkedIn or Facebook if they have it. Have a look and see if you can get a sense of the culture. Look at the background of the person interviewing you. Like really get a good sense of what the business is about because I think the more aligning sort of interests or synergies that you can draw, the more you're going to stand out rather than someone that's sort of like, oh, I don't know much about the organisation. Can you tell me a bit more? That's not a great first impression. You want to be leading with, I know so much about your business. I've had a look at this competitor and I see you guys are doing amazing with X, Y, and Z. So arm yourself with as much information as you can and then you'll definitely stand out of the crowd. Yeah. And should you do like reflect on what kind of employer you want that goes with your values when you're going for those roles as well, rather than just trying to guess to a scattergun approach? Yeah, look, I think you can. I think most people have a pretty clear idea in terms of whether it be an industry that they want to be a part of within our space, because we work with either early stage businesses right through to sort of high growth companies. A lot of the candidates that I work with have identified, look, I'm not great for a pre-launch business, but when it gets to sort of uh, Series A funding, I'll nail it. You know, I can come in and I can build a strategy, I can hit the ground running. So it's about being pretty realistic with yourself in terms of what it is that you know that you're good at and what it is that you're passionate about and want to be doing, and then sort of take that approach rather than just fire off a thousand CVs. I mean, we've got people that you can see every application that they've applied for and one might be product, one might be BDM, one might be marketing, one's ahead of tech. It's sort of like you're looking like you're not a serious candidate if you're just shooting yourself off to everything without having more of a a measured approach with, with where you're going. Yeah. And how much on your LinkedIn profile should you say have mother? I know there was a campaign by a company in the US a couple of years ago around put mother on your motherhood on your resume and, and even on your LinkedIn profile. How much should you, you know, I guess be public about it or do you just hide it and even maternity leave and things like that? I know it's something that you can't discriminate against, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I don't think you need to hide it, but at the same time, I don't think it's overly relevant to include it. I mean, that's my personal opinion. I don't put on there that, you know, I'm a mum of two kids, not because I'm not proud of it or anything like that, but it's just not part of my actual job that I'm doing in the nine to five Monday to Friday. So I I don't include it. And I would probably suggest that, I mean, most people I would imagine don't put their age on their LinkedIn profile. They take the dates off a lot of the time in terms of their education. They don't put long breaks or like they don't explain holidays or travel or overseas comments, like unless it's for work. So I really don't think unless you want to say, I was the CEO of my household for five years, then great. If that's what you want to put in there. Sometimes I think it's best to just make that explanation if it comes up through an interview. So a lot of the time if I see, okay, this person's not worked for two years, that's when I'll say, oh, just by the way, between 2016 and 2019, what what were you doing? Was it a work thing or were you uh, were you off for a reason? And that's when you have the conversation. But I don't think it needs to be a blanket thing on your resume. I don't think it needs to be on your LinkedIn because you don't want anyone to have 
a subconscious bias mm. to employing you. Yeah, no, definitely. And so when you get to that interview, what way, what are some tips to, to be that standout candidate for, for the interviewer? Because it is a competitive place at the moment. So how can you put your best self forward and be that memorable candidate? Because it does also come down to, I guess, relatability and memorability as well. Because I know I've interviewed some people, I'm like, I wouldn't even remember them because it was just such a terrible interview. (laughs) Well, then you would know as well how important the research piece is. So that is honestly my my biggest tip. The amount of times that, that I spend with people to help them really understand who they're meeting, the background of that person, the type of interviewer they are, you know, having all of these insights is going to make you a lot more memorable because you're going to know about their background, how they've gotten into their position, what the company is doing, how far through their growth journey they are, if they're launching new products into the market, like really do your research. And I know it can be difficult if you're, if you're interviewing for multiple roles. My suggestion, if you do have multiple roles that you're interviewing for, don't do them on the same day. So make it, okay, well, this day I'm going to be doing all my research for this interview for this company. So it's fresh in your mind and you know exactly what you're up for. If you try and cram too many interviews in one day, and I know it's difficult if you're working already because it's, you know, interviewing for roles is like a full-time job in itself, but you just need to say, no, I can't do two interviews on that day. I can do the one because you want to put your best foot forward. And it's a matter of, as I said, I mean, looking into the company culture is a huge thing because then you can add little bits in your conversation such as, oh, I noticed that you have done this particular course over the last three weeks. I've done a similar one. It just gives that instant kind of rapport. You can talk about something that's not necessarily the job or the company, but you're able to find some sort of common ground. And I think that always makes you a really strong standout candidate is if you can find that common ground or an interest or something that's going to make them go, oh, that was the, oh, that was the girl that liked basketball or, you know, whatever it was. You're always going to remember those little bits. And in terms of showing up, like it's, is there a difference of showing up on Zoom interviews versus in person? Because I know I'm sure these days there's a lot more Zoom interviews. Lots of virtual interviews. Yes, there is lots of virtual interviews. So the biggest thing, and I think you did, you did this well in our little intro as well, Karina, is making sure that you don't have your bed in the background that you don't have, you know, the kids coming into your room with you, the dog barking, like just basic little things that make you look like a professional person. Dress like you would to an interview. Don't, I mean, I know that everyone says, no business up the top, party down the bottom, yeah. but don't do that. Like dress like you are going to an interview because you never know if your computer or your tech is going to fail or if your laptop falls down and they can see you in your daggy trackies or whatever you're going to yeah. <laughs> So you just make sure that if you're on a video interview, dress as you would to a normal interview and really minimize any distraction around you. You wouldn't take your phone into a meeting with you. So make sure it's off and it's away, like just all the basic little things. And it should be exactly the same. Like I know that you can't go, hi, nice to meet you, but it's still a nice greet, a nice, you know, keeping your eye contact. Don't let yourself be distracted and looking around the room or anything like that. And I think they're the biggest thing. So treat a video interview as you would an in-person interview. Yeah. And I think even if you're dressing as though you're going, you know, if you're on Zoom or a virtual interview, if you're dressing as though you're going to work, you're also going to be in that mindset as well. Like if you're in a casual mind, like casual clothes, you're active where you're tracky dacks, you're not going to have then that mindset as well. So if you're acting and you're putting yourself 
in that situation, you're probably more likely to answer in that way and even have that confidence as well that put on your favorite clothes, put on your favorite suit or dress or something, because that, that confidence, no doubt would come through either if you're in person or if you're uh, virtual. Exactly. And that's, and that's a really good point. I mean, even I do a lot of work from home. I'm very lucky that we have amazing flexibility. Mind you, I live about two hours from the office. So that, that slog in and out four hours would just mean I've wasted my entire day. But with, even with that, I mean, I have a really strong routine at home where everything is done before 8.30 and that means all the housework, all the chores, all the beds made, all the lunches, everyone's out the door and I'm always dressed as though I'm going into the office. And I just feel that putting yourself into this is my work mode just means that straight away you're you're, you're being effective. You're doing your job. You're, you're in there. You're working hard. And then, you know, the school bell rings, which I can actually hear from yeah. my <laughs> And I think, right, I have five minutes before the littlest comes home, finish off what I'm doing, and then I stop, do afternoon tea, and then I'm back again in the afternoon. But um, I think it is really important to have that frame of mind. I'm at work or I'm in interview. This is this is the, the work, the work, Dana. but it's so true it's so true and I think yeah a number of people got caught with the the tracky dacks but even I'm slightly casual today but I would actually probably on a casual Friday wear this to the office but I still put on some makeup and you know I'm still there and in in that safe or show that that frame of mind so it's interesting of just putting yourself in those situations yeah that's exactly right Now, are there anything you're seeing in terms of employers and also about how they're changing to be a little bit more flexible? Because there's that famous thing that everyone's saying at the moment, there's that war for talent. And so there's obviously the flexible work approach and is, I guess it's flexibility both in hours and days and, and things like that. Yeah. But are you also seeing other cultural shifts, other policy changes that organizations are using to actually try and attract employees. Are you seeing some things that you you would never have expected, say, even five or 10 years ago? (laughs) Well, yeah, there's a few. The biggest things that I've seen companies implement is lots of health and wellbeing programs, particularly after COVID. And that goes for smaller organisations or or sort of the startup scale-ups right through to your corporates, um, which we don't have a lot to do with these days. But you'll see that there are so many health and wellbeing programs that have been implemented into everybody's business. And they can be little things like, not little things, but uh, access to mental health professionals. It can be relaxed sort of leave policy days. So if you need to have actual days off within reason outside of your sick leave for mental health reasons, they're allowing for that. So they're doing a lot of extra days off to to facilitate, you know, whether it be personal leave for mental health or or the like. Another one that's pretty crazy that I've seen loads of companies trying to promote is dog-friendly offices, (laughs) which would never have happened 10 years ago. (laughs) Wow. It's so many people bought a bought puppies through lockdown Mm. and now they don't want to leave their little puppies at home. So a lot of employers are like, we've got dog-friendly offices. (laughs) (laughs) Great little cell so you can bring your pooch to work. But I think the biggest thing is definitely around sort of that mental health, the, the flexibility. Salaries went ridiculously high for a long period of time and that was sort of a way that they were just trying to compete for this war for talent. I think there was one case that, um, 
I think it was Amazon where we're paying something like $300,000 for developers at one point right when the pandemic was at its peak because everyone needed devs because every company was moving to digital. That transformation was so huge that there was massive competition. So, you know, the, the money war has at least leveled. It has not gone back to what it was, but at least it's now at a normal level that we can't say, well, this company's offering 20K more. Well, then we'll offer 30K more. It's not like that anymore. It's all the other added values, such as extra leave. I have one company that's just implemented a nine-day fortnight, working fortnight, but not any sort of salary reduction or anything like that. All of these little things to try and engage, retain top talent is, is sort of where people are going now rather than money, money, money. Yeah. And are you seeing candidates respond to that and and really look for that? As you said, someone was willing to a little while ago, you know, yeah. reduce their salary by 15,000. Is, yeah. is that what you're saying that candidates, I guess also, you know, it doesn't have to be mums, dads, I guess everyone yeah. is really wanting that work-life integration as well. 100%. A lot of people are wanting it. And I, and I think that it was a very, very stressful three years for everybody, particularly, you know, people that may have been here and their families are overseas and they couldn't get back to family and hadn't seen their family for such a long period of time. So there is across the board, whether it's, you know, younger uh, employees right through to the most senior, work-life balance is now the biggest thing. And the fact that we had worked from home for so long and saw our families and actually had quality time with our families and realised, oh, these are pretty cool people. Maybe I want to spend a bit more time with them. Nobody wants to go back to that corporate kind of structure of, I don't know, you must be here at this certain time. And, And employers have just completely flipped on that and pivoted and and have really become a lot more adaptable to protecting people. I think they've seen the value of what good people can do for their business and how hard people worked, particularly during those times, and they want to retain them. And the best way to do that is by giving them flexibility, allowing them to sort of work in hours that they feel that they can be successful. And I I, I don't think there is well, certainly not in our organisation, anyone that dropped the ball in terms of revenue into the company over that period of time working from home. If not, people were working harder because you wanted to prove yourself and yeah. prove that you could do it and prove that, hey, look how successful I am. I am working hard. And it's a different mindset. I think most people will work harder if they know that they have the trust of their employer and their ability to run their own race. Yeah, I think it's so important. And and it's amazing how many employers beforehand thought, oh, look, they're not going to work from home. They, they're not going to be that productive. And then now it's like, well, I was. So let me continue yes. in this way. And yeah. I think you hear about it. It's across all industries. So it doesn't really matter what it is. There's there's so many things. Obviously, there's some jobs that need to be done, you know, in person, but there's definitely a lot. And then and you probably get more engaged, more probably productive employees and then a better workplace culture because you're actually employee focused and employee centric. Exactly. It's funny. There's some, there are some companies that are trying to enforce the big return to the office Mm. and they're losing people. You know, people are just like, you know what, I know that I'm good at what I do and I know that I can work for maybe not a competitor, but I can, I can do the same job in another organization that is offering the same flexibility that I had and they're, they're just leaving. So if people are, if employers aren't adapting to the new way of working, sadly, they're missing out. They're losing yeah. people. And just quickly, are there any other hints, tips or advice that you'd give working moms just in relation to recruitment, looking for jobs, and then also then position themselves against others in this war for talent market? 
Yeah, look, I think the biggest thing as as we've covered off is making sure that if you're if you're at work, whether it's in home, in office, wherever you are, make sure that you're always that you have your routine, you know, you you set yourself up for success, you back yourself regardless of what location you're sitting in and know that you can do a great job, making sure that you've got consistency across the board with your resume and your LinkedIn profile to really sell yourself so that there's sort of no question marks around what you can and can't do. And and like you said, with the resume, I would just say, keep it clean and sharp, a couple of pages long. If you have 20 plus years experience, don't put all 20 years experience on there, just cup, cup it into sort of maybe the last 10 or 12 years and then have the, if you want to include the rest on your LinkedIn profile, that's fine, if not encouraged, but you don't need to be sending seven page resumes, full text heavy, break it up if you can with graphs or some panels or whatever you want to do and pop in the old school, some interests in there to give your interviewer something to talk about. That's not just work. I think that that slipped for for many, many years. You know, people used to always put their interests in there and we used to have a bit of a laugh at them and yeah. <laughs> all the rest of it, but it was awesome talking point and something that kind of is, is more of an icebreaker because it is a bit nerve wracking going through the interview process. So if we can find a couple of icebreakers along the way, it would definitely help make you stand out in the interview, but also, yeah, become more memorable as well. Ah, sensational. So just quickly, Dana, how do you fill your cup? Well, I obviously am very routine-y, <laughs> very organized. <laughs> so my day is very much focused on my early morning starts, making sure I'm up, go for my run or my walk, at least have some of my own time without anybody around me talking to me, nagging to me, asking where shorts are or what's for lunch or what's for dinner or anything like that. So I start that early and give myself my own time in the morning and love watching the sunrise and um, seeing what the day is going to bring. And then I'm just really, really structured from there. So as long as I have my time and then my family time, another massive important thing for us is to sit down as a family for dinner every single night and just talk through how our days were, what the best part of our day was, was there anything we weren't quite happy about? And then just talk together about about all of that and then always ending with a bit of a movie at the end and we're happy, happy day. Sensational, (laughs) sounds like a great day. (laughs) Now where can people get in contact with you and learn more about what you do and if they're, I guess, in the, the startup marketing space as well, potentially put themselves forward for a job? For sure. Well, I'm on LinkedIn <laughs> under Dana Stewart. Our company is The Nudge Group, which is www.thenudgegroup.com. And my email is Dana, D-A-Y-N-A at thenudgegroup.com. Sensational. Well, thank you so much for this great chat with so many hints, tips and advice mm-hmm. on particularly recruitment. And it's been, I know, a bit of a gray area for some people, but definitely you've clarified a lot of that. And certainly if you're going for a new job, hopefully this has helped you out and let us know how you go because we'd um, love to know that these these tips have, have certainly supported you. So best of luck for your job hunting. And Dana, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Working Mama podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast catch-up. I invite you also to join the Working Mama community on Facebook and join in the conversation with other like-minded working mums. Please also feel free to contact me on any of the Working Mama social channels. Remember, Mama is M-U-M-M-A or website www.workingmama.com.au.
I would appreciate you to share this podcast with friends and colleagues, especially those that are parents managing the juggle. And I would really appreciate if you had to take the time out to leave a review of the podcast. I'll be giving a shout out to select people that do so. So stay listening and you might be one of them. Thank you and see you next time. Have a great week.